Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. But it's not John Hall, it's just Kathy Emmons. Happy to be with you today on The Ride Home. Gorgeous, spectacular fall day in the city of Pittsburgh. I'm joined by new Mike on the other side of the glass. Mike, welcome to you. Hello, how you doing? Isn't it spectacular outside? It's beautiful, I love it. I wish it can be like this all fall. Can you believe we're inside? No, isn't that tragic? We should have took uh, we should we should have took the show outside. That'd be well, nice. Why didn't we think of that on the rooftop here? We don't have any equipment to do that. No, I mean it'd be awful. I mean we could do it, but it'd be like be such an engineering pain. I'm not looking forward to winter at all. No, of course not. Apparently, it's supposed to get colder. On oh Thursday. my gosh! Last night, my husband and I went to dinner, um, a great little Middle Eastern place in Shadyside called Pasha, and um, after we ate. We had an hour to kill, and we just walked around Shadyside. With, we had like short sleeve shirts on. We were wearing shorts. Isn't it gorgeous down there? Oh, my gosh. And we just walked around. Yeah. We just, it, was, it was so nice. And I kept thinking, this is not like by Thursday, this is all going to have disappeared. Yeah. All of this beautiful warm air and that lovely like late summer. Fe- it's all going to be gone. We're going to miss it so much. <sighs> Listen to this, Mike. An online petition started by a Pittsburgh-based consultant is urging the Pittsburgh Marathon and its officials to drop Chick-fil-A as a sponsor of the Kids Marathon. What? Yeah, it's true. Now, Mike, you're probably wondering why would the Pittsburgh Marathon, which is such a great community-building organization in Pittsburgh, want to drop a relationship with clearly the best fast food purveyor in all of town? Oh, heck yeah. I want to know why. It's because of Chick-fil-A's, quote, extreme anti-LGBTQ beliefs. You've got to be kidding me. Telling you, their views are extreme. Mike, you worked for Chick-fil-A for a long time, didn't you? I did. Did you find them extreme? No, not at all. The petition started by Jody Hirsch, and I'm reading here from the Trib. The petition started by Jody Hirsch, the co-founder and principal consultant at Sequel Consulting, calls the partnership with Chick-fil-A, quote, unacceptable damaging and offensive. Hirsch could not immediately be reached for comment because what else could she possibly say after that? Uh, According to a petition that has been started, uh, it says this, Chick-fil-A is an... You're going to love this. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time not laughing because this is so... Ridiculous. Ridiculous. This is just ridiculous. Like kids actually care when they're Nobody cares. Everybody just wants to run and have chicken. That's all they want. And some waffle fries. Okay, listen. This is what the petition says. Quote, Chick-fil-A is an openly homophobic and transphobic business. Homophobic. Mm -hmm. According to the petition. It has been for years. And despite their PR campaign to change their image. Were you familiar with that PR campaign they were using to try to change their image? There's no reason to believe they've moved away from their extreme anti-LGBTQ beliefs and their funding of. Are you ready? 
discriminatory programming. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. I, I don't understand why in America people cannot disagree. I don't get it. I, what is the big deal? If you think that being okay or being gay is okay and you feel like being whatever you want to be is okay, right. then we live in America. Right. You can go and do that. Exactly. Knock yourself out. Why do you have to make everybody believe the same thing you believe? What yeah. is the big deal? I was talking to Kenny Woods this morning. And he said, you know, as Christians, we don't go out and bash other businesses and not buy from them. We or, certainly shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. So as, as Christians, we still go to secular companies and buy right. products. Sure. And, and, and we don't go out and bash it. I, at least I don't. I don't either. Um, but why in the world? I mean, this is just a kid's race. I don't think kids are going to be running all mad and upset over the fact that I'm pretty sure they just want chicken. Yeah. I yeah. just – okay. Ridiculous. The Trib article was talking about Dan Cathy, the company president, and he, he said – this is what the article says. The company's foundation donated millions of dollars to anti-LGBTQ foundations. Really? Anti-LGBTQ foundations? He it. gave money to pro-marriage organizations. Right. If you don't like marriage, guess what? You don't have to get married. Yeah. Great. If you don't like the fact that other people get married, that's too bad because you're not them. But you know what? You can not get married and be happy on your own and let people who want to get married be married. Just let Dan Cathy alone. And Leave guess alone. what? If you don't like him, you don't have to eat a Chick-fil-A. Right. I just, I can't. I just, I can't. It's ridiculous. As an organization... Uh, the marathon strives to be inclusive, it says, of any and all members of the Pittsburgh community. And we have and will continue to be accepting of any individual or family who wants to participate in our events. Except the people at Chick-fil-A? Are they, will they be accepting of any individual or family who works for Chick-fil-A? I don't even know. Okay, the statement goes on to say, we are working with organizations throughout the region to ensure we continue to expand our programming accord- accordingly. So if you would like to sign the petition uh, to sever, sever the Kids Marathon that happens here in Pittsburgh from Chick-fil-A, you can join the 900 people who have signed it already. I mean, this is just an absolute, complete and total waste of time and energy. You don't like what Chick-fil-A stands for? Don't eat the chicken. Leave us all alone. All right. Coming up on today's program at 510, a fascinating conversation with Joshua Pease. He's a freelance writer living in Colorado. He was an evangelical pastor for a lot of years, but he also has come forward to speak of the sexual abuse that he endured as a child. That type of sexual abuse that he endured, which was never discussed, it was never acknowledged until he was an older person, really made its way into his pastorate in a way that damaged him, was really hard on his family, and also caused him to lose his position at his church. So now, after a lot of therapy, he's come out on the other side, and he wants people to recognize that this is the kind of thing that doesn't go away. This is the kind of experience as a child that will come back out, especially when you're in an emotionally charged position, like being a pastor of a church. He says you, if you were a victim of abuse, you need to get help. 
now. And for those of us who were never victims, we need to be the kind of people that can support our pastor if indeed he or she was in that circumstance. So that's our conversation coming up at 5.15 this afternoon. Also, uh, several different ways in the four o'clock hour. We're going to talk about the post-Kavanaugh cleanup. So today was the first day where Brett Kavanaugh got to stop being someone who was fighting for a job and actually just got to be a person who had one. So we'll talk about that with uh, Al Parada, managing editor of the stream, and with our good friend Greg Clugston. He is the SRN White House correspondent. He's going to give us his perspective coming up next. So stay right where you are on such a gorgeous Tuesday in Pittsburgh. It's the Tuesday Ride Home. WORD. Imagine you show up for church this Sunday and instead of a sermon, your pastor reads a personal letter that your church received from Jesus. What might a letter like that say? Would Jesus praise, critique, or condemn your church? Consider that this week as John MacArthur begins a study titled, What Jesus Wants Your Church to Know on Grace to You. Tomorrow morning at 7 on 101.5 WORD. You're a good mom. You've tried every parenting tip in the book, but nothing seems to stick. Your child is smart, but just can't sit still and focus. Or maybe you know that something is just off. If your child just can't do things you think he should be able to, there is a reason. Brain Balance can help. For over 10 years, the Brain Balance program has helped kids just like yours. This customized program doesn't just mask your child's issues, but gets to the root of the problem. If your child is not making friends, is disruptive in school, or life just seems a lot harder than it needs to be, it's not that he's not trying. He just can't change what he can't control. The Brain Balance Program can help. If you feel your child falling further and further behind in school, don't wait. Call your local center today and find out how Brain Balance can build the strong foundation your child needs for a brighter future. Visit BrainBalance.com for the center nearest you. There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. You've got your Obamacare, you got your Trump care, you got your Affordable Care, you got your Cobra. So many choices. And fortunately, I know someone that's been on the forefront of health insurance for years. It's Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Now, Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country, and they help to determine which plan is right for you, and then expertly help you to choose the best plan for your needs and do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Do you have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Do you want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. And because they know how to design the plans, most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousands of dollars a year. So give Todd Marley a call. Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 or on the web, marleyfg.com. Ready for some good news? Life insurance is more affordable than you think. Ready for some even better news? Your coverage can start today. An e-financial agent is ready to help you select the right policy from the most trusted life insurance companies. And it's all done over the phone. One call and you're on the way to the protection your family needs. Call 1-866-244-5580 to get covered today. Or get a quote at efinancial.com. They work long hours and serve sacrificially for you, but they usually don't receive a lot of recognition. 
we need to show appreciation for our pastors every now and then. In fact, October is Clergy Appreciation Month, so please make a special effort now to recognize all that your pastors do to help you and your family grow in the faith. Why not pray for your pastors and then express to them your thanks and encouragement? October is Clergy Appreciation Month, a reminder from Focus on the Family. I was blessed to have my dad in my life until I was eight years old. His passing probably should have devastated my future. Once he was gone, life became really hard. Over the years, I heard so many negative messages, you know, like, you can't, you're not good enough, you won't succeed. I didn't understand it, but somehow they were all drowned out by one voice, my father's. In our short time together, he was constantly reaffirming me and reminding me that I was important to him and to God. He pictured a special future for me, helping me look beyond my circumstances and to dream of what I could be. Now I understand why his words had the greatest impact. He was giving me his blessing. The Blessing. It's biblical, it's permanent, and it's one of the most powerful things you can do for your child. Find out more about The Blessing at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Blessing. On behalf of our nation, I want to apologize to Brett and the entire Kavanaugh family for the terrible pain and suffering you have been forced to endure. Those who step forward to serve our country deserve a fair and dignified evaluation, not a campaign of political and personal destruction based on lies and deception. What happened to the Kavanaugh family violates every notion of fairness, decency, and due process. Our country, a man or a woman, must always be presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. And with that, I must state that you, sir, under historic scrutiny, were proven innocent. Thank you. The Senate confirmation process was contentious and emotional. That process is over. My focus now is to be the best justice I can be. I take this office with gratitude and no bitterness. On the Supreme Court, I will seek to be a force for stability and unity. My goal is to be a great justice for all Americans and for all of America. I will work very hard to achieve that goal. That's the Honorable Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who is uh, experiencing his very first day as a U.S. Supreme Court justice to talk about that, all the fallout, so many other things going on inside the nation's capital. We've invited our friend Greg Clugston back to the program, SRN News White House correspondent. Greg, welcome in. Hey, thank you, Kathy. Mine is John. Holy smokes, Greg. This has been, uh, gosh, it's been painful in every regard. But today, Brett Kavanaugh is actually just doing a job. Right. The first day on the bench at the Supreme Court today, there were a couple of oral argument cases uh, regarding uh, prison sentences for for prisoners. And uh, so he's off and running, and there was a, a, a very friendly and good-spirited uh, welcome by the Chief Justice, John Roberts, inside the courtroom, wishing the newest member, Kavanaugh, uh, you know, a long and happy career on the bench. And so you're right, this was... Uh, this was a, a nice day of relief, certainly for Kavanaugh, for his, his family, for the White House and the president, for all of Kavanaugh's supporters. But it was a brutal mm. and bitter process. 
Greg, tell us about what the welcome um, by Chief Justice Roberts looked like. Well, I was not in the room. I've I've read news accounts of of uh, of what happened this morning. Um, he he, you know, at, at the beginning of uh, oral argument before oral arguments begin on any cases that are before the justices at the Supreme Court, they sometimes will do some business, you know, ahead of time. Um, they'll swear in uh, members of the bar. Uh, they'll make other announcements about other pending cases. Um, and then they sometimes just, you know, make these kinds of remarks. Obviously, they were acknowledging that they are in full um, Supreme Court mode now. Nine mm-hmm. justices uh, at the at at the ready to uh, to hear. Obviously, the Supreme Court went the uh, the first week uh, of their fall term with only eight because of the ongoing confirmation battle. Have any of the justices weighed in on the Kavanaugh situation? Yeah, it was interesting. Um, over the weekend, um, at a previously scheduled event, you had Justices Kagan and Sotomayor um, make a joint appearance, and I don't remember the name of the conference or the event where they were they were speaking publicly, but each of them did raise concerns um, primarily about the the more partisan um, anger that was expressed by Kavanaugh on the day that he followed uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't think that anybody who felt like Kavanaugh was wrongly accused could really fault him for being angry that day, although there were some, even some who supported him, who thought that um, by mentioning the Clintons and by going after the Democrats in particular, mm-hmm. um, that that was that raised some questions or concerns about temperament, and that's what we heard from Sotomayor and Kagan. Um, they they weren't elaborate remarks about about that, but they did raise that as concerning. Mm-hmm. Well. I mean, I think it's an important thing to recognize. I mean, we we watched it happen. Um, as you said, you know, those of us and, I, you know, Greg, I didn't know what to think when that whole thing was going on. I was trying to stay as open-minded as I possibly could. Uh, but when Kavanaugh started to speak that day, uh, you know, that Thursday, I, I really thought, okay, so this is a man who's just acting like a guy who's been unfairly accused, and the only ones unfairly accusing him are the Democrats. So he's pointing and talking towards that end of the dais, and, you know, it is what it is. Um, it is odd to me. Do you remember if any of the um, Supreme Court justices weighed in on the Clarence Thomas issue after that was over? I don't remember. I certainly remember um, the whole spectacle surrounding the Clarence Thomas case, but I, I, yeah, don't, I don't have either. any specific knowledge of yeah. any yeah, specific yeah, yeah. comments. Okay. Me. All right. So, so Justice Kavanaugh last night, um, it was a it was a public version of a private swearing in that had already happened. Um, we heard at the very beginning of our segment, the president gave him um, a rousing, supportive welcome, and actually declared him not just not guilty, but declared that he was proven innocent. Yeah, that was uh, sort of a remarkable aspect of the public ceremony last night. And the president even acknowledged acknowledged it, saying, I'm going to do something that's a little unusual for these kinds of ceremonies. And that's when he went and gave that full-throated defense and said that he was innocent. Um, And, of course, he's referring to especially giving that extra week for the FBI investigation and background check to, uh, to, you know, kind of run its course a a little bit more. There are opponents who say it still wasn't enough. It was not thorough of, enough of an investigation. But obviously the president is, is very pleased. And he's, he's in a position now, President Trump, think about this. You know, under two years in office, and he has confirmed now two justices to the Supreme Court, 
um, and you've got a solid five justice conservative mm-hmm. majority for the first time in, in in a long time. And so this is uh, this is what reminds me of what a lot of voters said in 2016, who maybe were unsure about casting a ballot for Donald Trump but knew that they didn't want Hillary Clinton. And it was the Supreme Court that really swung the minds of a lot of uh, conservative voters in mm-hmm. this country. Absolutely. So talk about the uh, standing ovation that Mitch McConnell got when he walked into the proceedings last night. <laughs> yeah, Mitch McConnell uh, got a standing ovation. I mean, it was, you know, it, was, uh, it was a very interesting ceremony in that you had the, you know, you had the sitting eight justices in attendance there. You had the retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy. So you've got a lot of, you know, government star power in the room there, the East Room. Um, Mitch McConnell, uh, he, and, and you have to remember, this is, this is a partisan White House-sponsored GOP-friendly audience. So this is not like just um, a general audience. This was, you know, supportive, These are the fans, obviously. right? These are the fans. Exactly. It was, a, it was a friendly room to start with. But they looked at McConnell and, and realized he's done a couple of things now. One is he, he stood strong, even though um, it's been widely reported that Kavanaugh was not his first choice for the president to have made for the vacancy. Uh, but then he also, um, you know, led the way in a very unusual manner in 2016 by not moving forward on President Obama's nominee, holding out for the election, having Trump end up winning the election, and that, of course, led the way for Gorsuch. So McConnell played a key, yeah. uh, a very critical role in both of these appointments. you got to give it to him. I mean, for I mean, he has he has been the true chess master in all of this. He really has. Right. And, and, and beyond the Supreme Court, Kathy, he has been very active, along with this Trump administration, of filling key judicial um, s- slots in, in other district courts around the country. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole judiciary is, uh, has long been a, a big priority of his. Talking to Greg Clugston, SRN News White House correspondent. All right, Greg, so talk about the mood uh, at the White House. Um, what did you see develop over the last 10 days or so, and where do they stand now? Are they? Is it relief? Is it let's go get them? Is it exhaustion? What does it look like? Well, it may be a combination of a lot of those. Um, there is certainly relief, um, and there is celebration, although the president, uh, he just left here a few minutes ago. We were just outside for his departure uh, on Marine One. He's heading to Iowa tonight for another campaign rally. He stopped and talked to us for about 15 minutes, taking a variety of questions. And in, in the answer to one of the questions... He talked about, um, yeah, we had a, you know, we're, we're not going to celebrate. We're not going to sit on the, uh, you know, our laurels when it comes to the Kavanaugh appointment. We're moving ahead, and we're, we're we've got a lot of other things to do on a lot of other subjects. So, so he was even saying, look, we're not going to sit around and celebrate too long. We've we've got a big to-do list. So that's that's one aspect of the president's thinking too that there is still more to accomplish. Whether you're talking about North Korea, whether you're talking about the local economy, he's going to be making an announcement tonight about ethanol and uh, making the ethanol blend of gasoline uh, available in this country year-round. And so he sees that as a big plus for farmers in key voting states, but also good for the economy. So he's uh, he's got a big appetite for getting things mm-hmm. accomplished and. Uh, Obviously, they are very pleased around here. The, the Kavanaugh victory was something that they are really relishing. And so we're all trying to figure out, um, and maybe we should just stop trying to figure out and just wait if the 2016 election didn't teach us anything. It's that, is whether this is going to be a blue wave or a red wave at the beginning of November. 
Right. You know, I was uh, <clears throat> I was one of the reporters in the Oval Office this morning, and um, the president took some questions. And that, by the way, was for the announcement of uh, Nikki Haley, the U.N. ambassador, going to be resigning. Then he took uh, several questions, and um, I asked a question about what his forecast for the uh, midterm elections is, because we're four weeks away today. Um, and I uh, and, and so he actually he, he started talking about Iowa and then ethanol and then trade and then he never kind of circled back to the uh, the main thrust of the question that I that I asked of him this morning in the Oval Office. But the idea is uh, he is talking on the campaign trail about what he hopes and believes will be a red wave. I think the general thinking by a lot of political analysts and observers. And again, you referenced 2016, Kathy, and uh, some things weren't always right in 2016. Oh my gosh, very little was right in 16, Greg. <laughs> but what the conventional thinking has been up until the last couple of weeks is that the House is is, is likely to, to go into Democratic control and the Senate is at risk mm-hmm. of losing Republican control. And so what a lot of people are saying now, and again, we still have four weeks to go, which is an eternity in politics, as you know, is that uh, Republicans um, are in a better place when it comes to holding control of the Senate, and they've made some improvements in some key races in the House, but it still may not be enough to lose control. So it's it's anybody's guess, of course. Yeah. We're a month away. And we recognize that midterm elections is very hard for the party in power to keep those seats. So that's right. that's, this is just historically what it looks like. That's that's exactly right. And the White House knows that. You know, officials here working on the political staff for the president, they, they are fully aware of those historical trends. Um, and they're obviously hoping to buck them if they can. All right, one minute left. Uh, just give me the read. So Nikki Haley's out as UN ambassador. At first, people were thinking, "Oh no, she's she's this is a protest. She didn't like the Kavanaugh thing. She doesn't like the White House anymore." But it turns out she's just tired. Possibly, it's it's still the reason behind her leaving is still the open-ended question of the day. The open question. We don't have a, a solid answer. She just said it's time to know. You know, government officials. There's a time when you need to know. It's time to to leave. Mm-hmm. And she says this is her time. Two years at the UN. She was governor in South Carolina for six years, and it's been just kind of an eight years straight of you know solid activity. She's going to take a step back, uh, and but she already has said, and she made in her initial statement, no plans to run for president in 2020. She said that she's going to be campaigning for Donald Trump. Wow. All right. Thinking ahead. All right. Thank you so much, Greg. Greg is the uh, White House correspondent for SRN News. Greg, always a pleasure. Thank you, Kathy. Bye. No better person that reports on the White House. We're happy to have him. Coming up next, Pride and Prejudice is coming to the Pittsburgh Public Theater. Only my favorite book of all time. We'll talk to one of the actresses coming up next. Pumpkins, 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 and more pumpkins. Pumpkins are what the Springhouse is thinking about this time of year. Hi, it's me, Marcia, from the Springhouse, and we love sharing our farm with you during this beautiful time of year. We've got all kinds of fun planned for you and your family to be able to spend the whole day on our farm. Pumpkin patch hay rides, a petting zoo, giant square bale stack and pipes for sliding, a hay maze and a corn maze, pumpkin picking right out of the field, old time games under a tent up on the hill, and lots more. And when you get hungry, of course we have great eats inside too, with lots of pumpkin creations. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin bread, pumpkin custard, and even pumpkin black bean chili. Every October Saturday features a family-friendly meal, and October Sundays feature our 4-H 
Hallgrost with all the fixins. Plan to spend a memory-making day on the farm at the Springhouse in 84 PA, 724-228-3339 or springhousemarket.com. Change furnace filters. Check. Change smoke detector batteries. Check. Install CO2 detector. Check. Make sure the furnace is ready in good working condition. When you have Pellis Heating and Cooling Service your system, check. You're ready for anything. And be confident knowing a Pellis Tech is available 24 hours a day in case of emergencies. With after-hour calls, return within 30 minutes. Keep your family comfortable with a comfortable family company. Pellis, P-E-L-L-E-S, at PellisHVAC.com. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray-on bed liners, tonneau covers, WeatherTech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters. Always a favorite. Extreme car and truck in Bridgeville. For the extreme in all of us. At ExtremeTruck.net. Right now, there are young people across the world facing a tough choice. Continue their dream of education or drop out to help their family put food on the table. You can help change their future in a single moment. See how far your support can go at unbound.org. Ready for some good news? Life insurance is more affordable than you think. Ready for some even better news? Your coverage can start today. An e-financial agent is ready to help you select the right policy from the most trusted life insurance companies. And it's all done over the phone. One call and you're on the way to the protection your family needs. Call one 866 244-5580 to get covered today or get a quote at efinancial.com. For all the many years that we've been doing the ride home with John and Kathy, both Kath and I really appreciate all the advertisers who've been with us. Grove City College is our newest advertiser, and we are so happy that Grove City is with us. Both of our children attend Grove City, so we, as proud parents of children who attend Grove City College, we say thank you to Grove City College. <laughs> We'll see one more summery day tomorrow before a cold front moves through. Mainly clear with areas of fog forming tonight. It'll be warm and muggy with a low 64. Unseasonably warm and humid again tomorrow with patchy fog to start. Otherwise, partly sunny. High 82. It'll turn cloudy tomorrow night with some showers and a thunderstorm late. Low steamy 67. Mainly cloudy with some rain at times Thursday. High 72. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Frank Strait on 101.5 Word FM. I love to read. It's my absolute favorite thing to do. I mean, I can't even think of anything else in my life that I've ever enjoyed as much as I enjoy reading. And uh, my very favorite book of all time when it comes to novels is Pride and Prejudice. I can't even think, I can't even count the numbers of times that I have read it. Um, if you have never read Pride and Prejudice or any of Jane Austen's works, um, don't be afraid of them. They're, they're very accessible. They're charming. They're clever. They're funny. They give you a great insight into human nature. Um, and I just can't think of any writer that I've ever enjoyed as much as I've enjoyed Jane Austen. And when you think about this person who lived at the beginning of the 19th century, who died at a young age, who was never married, who never had children, who was a parson's daughter. I mean, she had such unbelievable awareness of human relationships and how men and women think and think differently and what the contrivances of, of British culture was on people at that. I mean, there's just nobody like Jane Austen. I'm telling you, you have to open up Pride and Prejudice if you haven't yet. 
But maybe to start you out on the right foot, you might want to look at the Pittsburgh Public Theater because they are doing a live production of Pride and Prejudice coming up. It starts on uh, Thursday, September 27th, goes through the end of October. And I'm happy to have Elena Alexandrados with us, one of the actors in the production. Elena, welcome in. Thank you, Kathy. It's great to be here. So, Elena, were you, like me, a fan of the work before you got this part? Uh, my mother was a fan of Jane Austen, and specifically Pride and Prejudice, and she was the one that made me uh, fall in love with it because of the words. Exactly what you said. Isn't it's it a beautiful... Beauty, I mean, it, it is. It's oh. beautiful. It's not just the insight. It's the way... It's just the beautiful language. Yeah, you could be, you could be uh, told that you are a no-good person in the most beautiful, eloquent, right. eloquent way. And, and you, at the end, you would say, thank you. Right, and you'd feel better about yourself <laughs> that someone told you. It's true. I love it's it. It's absolutely true. I yeah, love it. Yeah. Okay, so, Elena, this production uh, gets underway. Uh, it got underway already, Thursday, September 27th. I can't believe we're in October already. I need to get my, I head, I need to get my head in the right <laughs> month. Okay, so you're playing <laughs> Mrs. Bennett. This is um, Lizzie, Lizzie Bennett's mother, the matriarch of the family, probably... Elena, the single most uh, pompous, annoying, uh, loose-lipped <laughs> character in all of literature. I mean, am I am I overstating it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's awful. Well, you know, I have to defend her because I love her. I'm playing her. Right. What would you do at the at the at the top of the 19th century, and your husband has given you four girls? What would you do? Right. And they have no way to provide for themselves or to inherit their father's property. Oh, no. Oh, no. So the they're estate, doomed. Uh, they, they've got nothing. Yeah, no. It's, 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 either, it's either marry into a semi-good uh, semi family or you're, you're, you're going to be a governess if you're lucky or you're going to stay at home. I mean, that's the reality for... For a woman at that time period, right, and you know, so, so, so and so, you as Mrs. Bennett, you're going to take it upon yourself to make sure your girls are married off to all the right people. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, Absolutely. and you're lucky. You're lucky. Your husband doesn't divorce you along the way. Well, there wouldn't have been such a thing at that time, but you know that's why he has his paper. He can hide behind his paper while Mrs. Bennett goes through, goes through her machinations of marriage for the for each of the daughters. <laughs> Elena, tell me about this production. I've never seen Pride and Prejudice in a in a play form. Um, what's it like? Well, um, the play, uh, the adaptation by Kate Hamill, is a. It, it, it turns Pride and Prejudice into something that modern audiences can understand. It really is because it's the first show for the public, for Mariah C. Kavinsky uh, being the new artistic director and Lucas Deli being the new managing director. It takes it and says, we have a new thing going on at the public. It's, uh, it takes Pride and Prejudice and it, it turns it into a celebration of life, of mm. love. Of of uh, of us being humans in the human condition. Mm. So if you so if you've never read Pride Pride and Prejudice, if you've never seen the movie with Keira Knightley or with Colin Firth, uh, the BBC uh, uh, adaptation that was in the nineties, what this Pride and Prejudice does is it gives you a completely new take on it. So if you love it from from reading it, if you love it from seeing the movies. 
you'll appreciate it because it's it's a little I don't want to say twisted because it's not, but it puts new clothes on it. Mm. If that makes oh, sense. Oh, I like that. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah. So, Elena, um, it, I have to say that your voice is absolutely beautiful. Oh, thank you. It is. You have thank a wonderful. You. you have a wonderful voice. I can't wait to see you in this production because seriously, <laughs> if you're looking for a fun role to play, you can't get much more fun than Mrs. Bennett because she is just out oh, there. Oh my. She just tears the scenery. Oh. I mean, any 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 ounce of diva blood that I may have in me is completely boiled over playing Mrs. Bennett because I mean she's you know she's just she's so much fun to play. She so really is. Fun. Well, listen, Pride and Prejudice oh, yeah. already underway. Now that I know what month I'm in, I realize that it's already started. <laughs> Thursday, September 27th. It goes to the end of October. We've been talking to Elena Alex Andrados, who plays Mrs. Bennett. Elena, I will be there at least once. I mean, the last show that, that uh, the public theater did, I went twice. The time before, I went three times. I'm telling you, if I like it, I really, really like it. And so I'm very excited to go. I look forward to meeting you there. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. That's Elena Alexandrata. She plays Mrs. Bennett in the upcoming Pride and Prejudice put on by the Pittsburgh Public Theater. It started on September 27th, goes till the end of October. Don't miss it because I for sure won't either. We'll talk more Kavanaugh coming up next. Train up children in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. PittsburghChristianSchools.net will help you locate true educational partners in Allegheny, Beaver, Butler, and Washington counties. PittsburghChristianSchools.net Hi, I'm Bill Engvall, and I'm here with Mike Stahl from Health Markets, a national organization helping folks find the right Medicare coverage. Mike, the news reports keep saying that the rates might actually be going down. The cost of many Medicare plans are decreasing this year. So you have to ask yourself, are you getting the best rate? Health Markets Markets offers a free service with access to thousands of Medicare plans, plans that can eliminate your out-of-pocket costs, plans with $0 premium, and even plans that pay you back. All right, Mike, with the enrollment deadline for Medicare coming soon, what should people keep in mind? With so many new options, it can be confusing. You can get objective help to find a plan that may cost less and cover more. With lower co-pays, more choices like dental, vision, and prescription drug coverage, and the freedom to see the doctors you choose. Don't miss out on savings you deserve. Our Health Markets Medicare assistance is free. Thanks, Mike. Hey, folks, your Medicare is just too important to put off. So call Health Markets today and find out how much you could be saving. Call 800-716-7780. That's 800-716-7780. 800-716-7780. Why a classical Christian education? Because kids learn differently at different ages. Through grammar, we grasp the building blocks of knowledge. Logic teaches how those building blocks relate. Then rhetoric helps us communicate what we know. For over 50 years, Trinity Christian School has intentionally applied this classical approach to education with great success. It's just one reason why they're consistently ranked among the top K-12 schools in Allegheny County. Trinity Christian School, 412-242-8886. When it comes to selling you a mattress, most retailers are handing you a line, a long line of extra steps that drive up costs and create confusion. At the Original Mattress Factory, we simplify the mattress shopping experience by building mattresses and box springs in our own local factories and selling them direct to you. It's short, sweet, and simply makes sense. So experience more than just the mattress store. Experience an original, the Original Mattress Factory. 
This is John Fuller, and we're so pleased that Focus on the Family can be here for you on the radio to help your family thrive. We'd like to remind you, though, about the vital role that your church community has in keeping your marriage strong and your kids growing in the faith. During Clergy Appreciation Month, take time to recognize your pastors and all they do to serve the congregation. It's hard work, but a word of thanks and encouragement will make a big difference. They work long hours and serve sacrificially for you, but they usually don't receive a lot of recognition. We need to show appreciation for our pastors every now and then. In fact, October is Clergy Appreciation Month, so please make a special effort now to recognize all that your pastors do to help you and your family grow in the faith. Why not pray for your pastors and then express to them your thanks and encouragement? October is Clergy Appreciation Month, a reminder from Focus on the Family. So Brett Kavanaugh did something crazy today. He just went to work which I think is the thing he's been hoping to do so desperately for the past three months. And all sorts of things ended up uh, between him and that goal. To talk about what the post-Kavanaugh landscape might look like, we've invited Al Parada to the program. Al is managing editor of The Stream. He was formerly the VP and creative director for All Comedy Radio. He's the co-author of the counterterrorism memoir, Hostile Intent. Happy to have him. Al, welcome in. Hi, how you doing today? Al, is it the craziest thing you've ever seen in uh, public conversation in America? Uh, cra- uh, worse than crazy, one of the most horrific things I've seen in the public public arena. Okay, so from your you know, pr- from your years. from your perspective, uh, when you first heard the allegations against Kavanaugh, I mean, had you been follow? First of all, had you been following his confirmation up to that point? Uh, Kind of. Not not super intently, but but paying attention. Right. And my first reaction was when there started to be a report that that Diane Feinstein was holding on to something, and that and that it had been leaked. The idea that she had it was leaked, and I said, "Oh my gosh, they're this is uh, they're they're framing him. They're setting him up." Mm-hmm. So initially, yeah, my first reaction was, "Oh my gosh, here we go," because it started just like the media hill thing, where it was talking about some anonymous person coming forward with some anonymous accusation. And I, and I remember how what a horrible nightmare that was, and I figured this was going to probably be, end up being worse. Right. Well, it did end up in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways being worse. And I don't know if that has to do with our 24 hour news cycle, if it has to do with, you know, social media or what it was, but it ended up being shockingly cruel, I think, to both parties. Um, so Al, let me ask you this. Uh, when you heard Christine Blasey Ford at the very beginning of that Thursday give her statement, were you persuaded? I was persuaded that something seems to have hap- something seems to have hap- happened to her, but but I was I was I was still I was I didn't believe she was you know posing you know making about a whole cloth right she wasn't a faker there was some there was some there's certain some something happened at some point when- and uh, we got something to deal with but I was still I was not. There's too many too many holes and too many things where she was even contradicting herself even even during the day. I went, right. man, she says she's a hundred percent, but <laughs> I'm not really believe, I'm not buying that. Right. Um, okay, so I- I'm taking us back to that day only because you know we're here talking about or here to talk about you know the post Kavanaugh America, but I think it's important to talk through and just kind of remember where we were on that day because that was a day when. 
when I was more disturbed than anything that everyone was just so certain about what they thought. I mean, I thought we, we haven't even we haven't even heard from these two people. None of us were there. I don't know Kavanaugh. I don't know Christine Blasey. I don't know. I don't know these people. It's not like I'm, you know, you know, vouching for my parents or something. I don't know. I don't know these people. So I was hoping that there would be an open mind. Now that we've gone through the whole process, now that Judge Kavanaugh has been confirmed, I think probably from the very beginning, very few people actually had an open mind. Uh, yeah, uh, to some degree, but I, I, I do believe uh, in, this, in this thing, and I thought of this this morning, all of America pretty much stopped that Thursday to listen to what that woman had to say. <laughs> and I think when that opportunity was given, and, and I, I think a lot of people were like, okay, let's see, let's, see, let's, see what, let's see what she puts on the table. Let's see what's there. Let's see if she's believable, you know, let, and let's go from there. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of folks ended up where Susan Collins was. Something, something happened at some point, at some time, but she didn't make. There's no nothing to suggest that, other than her saying it, to suggest that Brett Kavanaugh was involved. And so I think, I think there's a, I think in a sense, at least from my point of view, there's a certain a sympathy and empathy of like, okay, we want to find. I, I wanted. Um, I keep calling it Brenda, but it wasn't Brenda. It was. Um, Mitchell, the prosecutor, I would have loved to have her just talk, you know, go off in a, right. some other room where nobody else is around. You talk to her for two hours, come back and tell us what exactly what you get out of it. it wouldn't have been, it would have been so much better if Rachel Mitchell would have flown to California or wherever Christine Blasey yeah. Ford was. They could have talked for two hours. I tr- Rachel Mitchell just seems like a no nonsense person. Obviously, she's highly decorated in her field. She knows what she's talking about. She could have just weighed it, you know, asked a bunch of questions in a row as opposed to the five minute blurbs. We mm-hmm. would have gotten a lot further ahead. Christine could have been anonymous. We could have forgotten all of this garbage and this whole political circus wouldn't have happened it just it drives me out of my mind okay so now that's all over that's in the past kavanaugh just gets to be a judge um what do you think about these impeachment rumors that that democrats are starting that you know if they take over the house they're going to start you know uh, diane feinstein says she wants to or no it was nancy pelosi who said she wanted to fire to file a freedom of information act so that everybody could read the fbi investigative report at this point, the person that gets hurt in that will be Ford, because at some point, somebody's going to actually rip into the story, in a in a in a way, in, in public, you know, hearings. Then it gets ugly. Why? What do you? What do you? What do you why is that? Is that all you have to offer is trying to impeach a guy for something that may have possibly have happened when he was 17 years old? Really, it, it just it is insane that that's where the Democrats, what the Democrats want to do. They don't. They're not very good losers. <laughs> And well, I, you know, I think that's like, I actually, yeah, I think that's a very good point, Al. We're talking to um, to Al Parada, who's the managing editor of the stream. I think you bring up a good point. I don't think any of us right now have learned how to be good losers, but especially right now, the Democrats, I think, have hurt themselves, perhaps given themselves a mortal wound, depending on what happens at the beginning of November, because they have shown themselves to be absolutely horrible from the presidential election in 2016 to now at just being able to lose and regroup. Yeah, I mean, and it's. I mean, you had their standard bearer out there today, Hillary Clinton, with um, saying you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for. Really? What now, about. what would that possibly be like? That that to me is um, tacit tacit approval of violence. Good grief! What Hillary what Hillary's saying? Because <clears throat> when you talk about okay, you can't be civil with a political party. 
Well, political party is made up of people. It's not like she's going to be uncivil to a symbol of an elephant. <laughs> you know, she, that's people. Right. So, and when there's uncivil, you know, such in, uncivilized, a lot of this stuff is uncivilized behavior. You're scratching at the Supreme Court door, banging, yelling, screaming, screeching like like you're possessed by demons, making threats, sending beheading images to senators' lives, threatening Susan Collins with death, all this stuff. And then you're sitting there saying, oh, there's no point, to, you can't be civil. <laughs> Man, you're just saying, go ahead, do it. Al, let's, that's Hillary Clinton. Let's talk, well, first of all, Hillary and Bill are going to start off on their 10-plus city tour. I cannot believe oh, how uh, horribly timed that is. I can't believe that anybody in leadership at the DNC thought that was a good idea. Oh, it, it, well, as a former comedy writer, I'm like, do it, please. please. <laughs> it's your dream you know, come true, but, I'm um, sure. It's my dream come true. It's like, who's your opening act? You know, the Me Too, who's going to be opening act? R. Kelly? I mean, you know, Bill Clinton and the Me Too thing. But it's... um. Where was I going with that? <laughs> Somewhere bad. No, they, um, I, you're right. I, I don't think they'd get there in a different time now because the Republican types and conservative types, the youngest ones especially, they're, they're cool with fighting back. So who do you think is going to be buying tickets to that? you think it's going to be all fawning Hillary fans or Bill Clinton groupies? No. Those, those, those are going to turn pretty raucous. You know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty stupid move. Um, but I don't know. I guess, it, you know, it's kind of like one of those oldies acts that goes on the road and plays their, tries to play their hits from the 90s, but they can't play their guitars anymore and their voices are, are shot. So I that is the that is the very <laughs> last oldies act anyone in America needs to see right now. Thank you. That's Al Parada, yeah. managing editor of The Stream, formerly VP and creative director for All Comedy Radio. Find his work right now at The Stream. You'll find it if you look for us on Facebook, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Thank you, Al. Much more coming up on today's Ride Home. When we come back, I'll tell you a little bit about a little bit about what opinion writer Paul Krugman said in today's New York Times. His take on Kavanaugh, different than Al's. You're a good mom. You've tried every parenting tip in the book, but nothing seems to stick. Your child is smart, but just can't sit still and focus. Or maybe you know that something is just off. If your child just can't do things you think he should be able to, there is a reason. Brain Balance can help. For over 10 years, the Brain Balance program has helped kids just like yours. This customized program doesn't just mask your child's issues, but gets to the root of the problem. If your child is not making friends, is disruptive in school, or life just seems a lot harder than it needs to be, it's not that he's not trying. He just can't change what he can't control. The Brain Balance Program can help. If you feel your child falling further and further behind in school, don't wait. Call your local center today and find out how Brain Balance can build the strong foundation your child needs for a brighter future. Visit BrainBalance.com for the center nearest you. The day after Thanksgiving, feed your soul. Join Amen to Action as we come together to sing, pray, celebrate, and pack one million meals of hope for the hungry. It's Friday, November 23rd at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Doors open at 8 a.m. and all faiths and ages are welcome. Come fill your heart with joy and one million plates of food right here in Pittsburgh. 
To register, go to amentoaction.org. Hi, Michelle Malkin here. If you follow my work, you know that one of the biggest outrages I reported on was the trial of abortion doctor Kermit Gosnell. Healthy woman goes into a clinic, comes out dead, and there's no police report? I helped expose the crimes the mainstream media tried to cover up. We had instructions directly from Governor Ridge's office not to inspect abortion clinics. When the producers of the Gosnell movie came to me for help, I jumped at the chance. I personally donated to make sure this film got made. The Gosnell movie opens October 12th. It's amazing. Kermit Gosnell is perhaps the most prolific serial killer in American history. Dean Cain and the entire cast do a superb job bringing this powerful story of good versus evil to the big screen. Nothing that man did that protects women or children. And you don't have to be a pro-life activist to see that. You might be worried that this movie is too scary. It's not. As a mother of two, I promise you, you can and should bring your teenage children to see it. Bring friends and family. You do not want to pass up this unique opportunity to change hearts and minds about abortion. Gosnell, rated PG-13. If you had to replace everything in your fridge today, how much would it cost? For a restaurant or church, that could mean thousands in lost product and downtime. That's when you call Ventec Refrigeration. When your walk-in goes down, Ventec can be there in less than two hours with portable units to save valuable product and they'll even move it for you while repairs are made with flat rate pricing instead of hourly fees. A-plus rated with a better business bureau. Keep your cool with Ventec Refrigeration. 412-793-0661. We just booked Al Parado, who's managing editor of the stream. He's not a fan of the Dems. So, I don't know, just for the purposes of uh, giving you a perspective on both sides, uh, Paul Krugman's uh, editorial in yesterday's New York Times, I thought it was today's, but it was yesterday's New York Times. I got to read you the beginning of it. This is what Paul says. Many people are worried rightly about what the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh means for America in the long term. He's a naked partisan who clearly lied under oath about many aspects of his personal history. That's as important as and related to the question of what he did to Christine Blasey Ford, a question that remains unresolved because the supposed investigation was such a transparent sham. Putting such a man on the Supreme Court has, at a stroke, destroyed the court's moral authority for the foreseeable future. I read that this morning and I thought, what? What? I mean, I, I can't even express how differently I see this issue than him. I just, I'm not, I can't figure out how Paul Krugman looks at what Brett Kavanaugh said and comes out with him clearly lying under oath. I just, I don't know what he's talking about there. I mean, we're talking about the devil's triangle thing. Are we talking about the drink? Like, what are we talking about? I don't even understand. Then when he brings up the Christine Blasey Ford, he says, a question that remains unresolved because the supposed investigation was such a transparent sham. The FBI investigation is exactly what the Democrats on the Judiciary Committee asked for. Every single member who talked to Kavanaugh that Thursday said, why don't you want an FBI investigation? Why don't you want an FBI investigation? Why don't you want... So they did an FBI investigation, but it's still not. How does that equal transparent sham? I just don't get it. Then he goes on to say, but such long-term worries should be a secondary concern right now. The more immediate threat comes from what we saw on the Republican side during and after the hearing. Not just contempt for the truth, but also a rush to demonize any and all criticism. 
look at the Democrat side, and that's exactly what I see. I mean, what? How do we? How are Paul Krugman and I looking at all of the same things, and seriously, seriously seeing exactly opposite items? I just, I can't, I can't figure it out. I can't. I don't. I seriously don't know what the hope is for America when we have two sides that are just that different. I'm telling you, what we need. What we need is we need to appeal to an impartial arbiter. We need all of us, Republican, Democrat, independent, we need to find a source of ultimate wisdom. We need to listen to someone who knows what truth is, what grace is. We need someone outside of us. What we need is God. And I'm telling you, there is just no hope without him. Sharing the word that changes the world. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh, a service of Salem Media Group. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Nikki Haley has resigned as the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations. President Trump made the announcement in the Oval Office. At the end of the year, Nikki will be leaving. Haley appears to be leaving on good terms. The president said she did a fantastic job. She called it an honor of a lifetime. And Haley also denied any immediate presidential aspirations. No, I'm not running for 2020. I can promise you what I'll be doing is campaigning for this one. So I look forward to supporting the president in the next election. Greg Clugston, the White House. A fast and furious Hurricane Michael sped toward the Florida panhandle on Tuesday with 110 mile an hour winds and a potential storm surge of 12 feet, giving tens of thousands of people precious little time to get out or board up. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 56 points. The Nasdaq rose to the S&P declined four, oil up to 74.96 a barrel. This is SRN News. You think you're getting a price hold, but really you're signing up for Windows. And if you don't cancel within three days, you're obligated to that contract. Energy Swing Windows Donnie Dara on the length some companies will go to get your business. What some salesmen from national companies are doing is they're getting homeowners to sign something that says they're going to hold your price for 30 days. But what they're really signing is a contract that says you only have three days to cancel. And they don't tell you that. It's a trick. And people are really getting ripped off by this. We don't pressure people at Energy Swing. There's not fine print at all. What you see is what you get. That's why we won the Better Business Bureau Torch Award three years in a row. That's why we just, in in Western Pennsylvania, won the best of the best on our website. There's actually a video that shows why we were voted as that. When you do the right things right, you're recognized for that. Energy Swing, best of the best. Right now, Word FM listeners get an exclusive 5% off over and above any current offers on windows and doors. Visit Energy Swing. Windows.com. Five years ago, a National Barna Omni poll discovered that 77% of evangelicals believe we're now living in the end times as described by the Bible. But how can we really know? Don't miss the most comprehensive, in-depth, prophetic end time seminar anywhere. You'll be amazed at how much information God's Word provides. This all-day end time seminar is Saturday, November 10th at Christ Church at Grove Farm. To learn more, go to endtimeseminar.com. That's endtimeseminar.com. 
This is a special notice to all U.S. taxpayers. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's good news. Due to the financial hardship many are facing in today's economy, the IRS has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems through a federal program called the Fresh Start Initiative. Qualifying for this program will resolve your tax problem, end all collections, and possibly reduce your back taxes by up to 90%. If you are facing wage garnishments, liens, bank levies, audits, or payroll taxes, it's not too late. Your circumstances may qualify you for this special program, protecting your savings and your assets. If you owe the IRS or state back taxes and cannot afford to pay them back, there's no need to worry anymore. Call the hotline at Victory Tax Solutions to see if you qualify and potentially save thousands. For this free information, call 800-813-1105. 800-813-1105. That's 800-813-1105. Change furnace filters. Check. Change smoke detector batteries. Check. Install CO2 detector. Check. Make sure the furnace is ready in good working condition. When you have Pellis Heating and Cooling Service your system... Check. You're ready for anything. And be confident knowing a Pellis Tech is available 24 hours a day in case of emergencies. With after-hour calls, return within 30 minutes. Keep your family comfortable with a comfortable family company. Pellis, P-E-L-L-E-S, at PellisHVAC.com. We'll see one more summery day tomorrow before a cold front moves through. Mainly clear with areas of fog forming tonight. It'll be warm and muggy with a low 64. Unseasonably warm and humid again tomorrow with patchy fog to start, otherwise partly sunny, high 82. It'll turn cloudy tomorrow night with some showers and a thunderstorm late, low steamy 67. Mainly cloudy with some rain at times Thursday, high 72. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Frank Strait on 101.5 Word FM. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home on 101.5 Word FM. And now here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Oh, but not John Hall. John Hall taking a day off. I'm Kathy Emmons, alone in this part of the studio, but not alone, because New Mike is on the other side. Hello. Hello, New Mike. Welcome. Um, so, you know, last year when John was on vacation, um, we were mean. We sure were. But it was like... It was a nice meme. It was done out of love. Yeah. It was, you know... So what happened is, you know, John took a vacation last year, and um, he ended up in an Airbnb that had a rooster. (laughs) You'd think that would be disclosed, you know, in some of the particulars, but he ended up at an Airbnb with a rooster that started, you know, doing its thing really loudly at, what, five in the morning or something. So John... Poor John... Had to get up, uh, you know, every morning at like five. And the other thing that happened to him last year is that it rained every day. He took a vacation to Florida and it rained, or to North Carolina and it rained every day. Well, John's on vacation again, and I hope he's having a fabulous time. I've actually, you know, chatted with him just a couple times. We have this understanding between us that when one of us is on vacation, the other one is not like pestering us with work details or, you know, questions about the show or whatever. Um, but I have checked in a couple times to see how he's doing. And, um, the sad news is, Mike, did you know that John's in Florida? Yes. Did you know what's uh, bearing down on Florida? I believe a hurricane, isn't right. it? Right, right, right. So um, we could be mean again to John and come up with another, like, you know, poem or sad music or something about it. Um, but 
of course, we don't want to make fun of anyone who's in the path of the hurricane because right. it could be absolutely devastating. And the good news for our friend John is that he's on the other side of Florida. So he's not in the actual path of the hurricane, though he is getting some bad weather. It's just one of those things I bring up as a little bit of an irony that two times in a row, John's gone on vacation and maybe it hasn't been as sunny as he hoped. One thing for sure, I'm never going on vacation with him. <laughs> Or, and, I am never going on vacation where he is vacationing. <laughs> because the weather, he always strikes out with the weather. Poor guy. God bless him. God bless him. And he him. tries so hard. He does. Okay, Mike, I have a story for you. Let's hear it. Around the time of the 1863 Battle of Gettysburg, we're going back a ways, okay? The Union Army sent a shipment of gold from Wheeling, West Virginia to Philadelphia. The wagon train took a circuitous route through the wilds of northern Pennsylvania so as to avoid Confederate troops. Along the way, Mike, the gold was either lost or stolen. Mm. Now, this legend, and I'm reading from the AP here, has inspired generations of treasure hunters to take to the thick woods of northern northwestern Pennsylvania, including two men, Dennis and Kem Parada, who spent five years digging in a cave on state land and two more years drilling atop the cave before they decided to go to the FBI in January with their evidence. So the father and son duo spent years combing this little bit of Pennsylvania wilderness with all their equipment. They had high-end metal detectors. They had drills. They had all sorts of tools to prospect for this cache of Civil War gold. And they felt absolutely sure that they had discovered the hiding place for this long lost booty leading the FBI even after they'd found the spot they brought the FBI in to this mountainous heavily wooded area last March but when the FBI opened the hole where they thought the cache of gold would be and they thought it would be a big cache there was nothing there there was nothing there we were embarrassed, Dennis Parada told the Associated Press in his first interview since the dig last winter. They walk us in. They make us look like dummies, like we messed up. Since that day, however, neighbors' accounts of late-night excavation and FBI convoys have fueled suspicions that the agency isn't telling the whole truth. The Paradas are challenging the FBI's account of the dig, insisting that something had to have been buried in the woods near Dents Run, which is only about 135 miles from here, Mike. 135 miles from here. That something, they believe, was gold. Federal investigators insisted a few days after leaving the site that the search came up empty, adding cryptically that its work there was related to, quote, an ongoing investigation. The FBI declined to comment further, and a bureau spokeswoman told the AP last week that court documents related to the dig are sealed. What? They're sealed, Mike. Listen, the Paradas, this this uh, this dad son team, they showed agents how this metal detector lit up like crazy when it was aimed at this spot where they believed the gold was hidden. Within a month, once the FBI saw that, they had hired an outside firm to conduct an underground scan using a device called a gravimeter. This scan identified, are you ready, a large metallic mass with the density of gold. So, it was with great anticipation that the dad, the son, and this author person who was kind of following them around to kind of chronicle this event, arrived at the dig site in March. But nothing worked out. 
The dad, the son, and the writer said they had an agreement with the FBI to watch the excavation, but the officers instead told them to wait in their car. They knew. Wait in their car. They couldn't even see where the backhoe was digging. They had to wait in the car, Mike, for six hours. Six straight hours. I mean, didn't they have to go to the bathroom? What were they doing? I guess it's the woods and their guys. That's what they were doing. Anyway, six hours on the first day before they were finally allowed to go up the hill. They saw one hour of digging before an agent called an abrupt halt at 3 p.m. saying, we're stopping, we're cold, we're hungry, and we're tired. Dennis Parada said, you got three hours of daylight. We're only three feet away from the goal. What the heck are we doing? But the FBI made them leave. But whether the FBI actually left, that's an open question. Because Cheryl Elder, who lives nearby, told the AP she heard what sounded like a backhoe and jackhammer until 2 a.m. She said it kept her awake. And then she saw that the hillside was lit up the whole night. So the second day, the dad and the son and the writer go back. They're waiting in the car because, of course, they're not allowed up to this excavation site, right? Okay. So they're in there for several hours. The FBI, they come to get them. They go up the hill to the dig site. There's nothing there. The hole is empty. There's not a thing there. The FBI had finished the excavation out of their presence, they said. And the Paradas, the dad and the son, felt like they were cheated out at this moment they'd been working all these years for. Dennis Parada said, you can only dig the gold up once. It's, it's a historic moment. And here we were robbed of all of that. I don't understand why they played that game on us. But then you know what happened, Mike? They left in disgust. But neighbors said they saw a half a dozen black SUVs at the site. One by one, they backed up to the bottom of the hill and rendezvoused with one of several all-terrain utility vehicles. Heather Sell, who lives nearby in a town called Weedville <laughs> said she was getting her kids ready for school on the morning of the second day when she spied a convoy of FBI vehicles driving past, including two large armored trucks. I mean, can you believe that? Listen, if Union Gold was indeed recovered from the woods, says the Associated Press, the discovery of a historic and extremely valuable trove of federal property on state land would almost certainly touch off a court battle over who owns it and whether the Paradas are entitled to a cut. According to the legend, this lost shipment that they were looking for had either 26 or 52 gold bars, which would be worth about 25 to 50 million dollars. Now, wait, it's better than that. Okay, when they put their metal detector in there, they said that they actually detected a much larger quantity of precious metal even than that. Seven to nine tons is what they estimated. That would be worth more than $250 million. They shouldn't have said anything. Can you listen? So the dad filed a Freedom of Information Act request for documents on the FBI's investigation into the gold. But the agency has said, we claim we have no files we can share. So Chuck appealed to our U.S. Senator, Pat Toomey, for help. And a few weeks ago, the Justice Department ordered the FBI to do a more thorough review. If the Bureau determines there are documents it can turn over after all, it can still take months or years for us to find out anything. And this is a legit story. Listen, Associated Press, I'm holding it in my hand. That's crazy. 135 miles from where we sit right now. See, John should have vacationed there instead. Very good point. I don't know, people.
Maybe it's a conspiracy. $50 million. No, $250 million. I'll take that. 101.5 WORD. In touch with Dr. Charles Stanley. Think about how God cares for you and me. Not only would he reveal himself in nature and in our conscience and give us this written word, but he's given to us the living word. That is, God chose to come to earth and walk among men so that you and I would really know what God is like. In touch with Dr. Charles Stanley. Helping you grow in Christ every day. Tomorrow morning at 8.30 on 101.5 WORD. So many changes happening in healthcare today. You got your Obamacare, you got your Trump care, you got your Affordable Care, you got your COBRA, all of that stuff. Fortunately, I know someone that's been on the forefront of health insurance for years, and that's Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Now, Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country, and so they can help to determine which plan is right for you. And then expertly help you to choose the best plan for your needs and do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Well, call Marley. Do you have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. And because they know how to design the plans, most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousands of dollars a year. So give Todd a call at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496. Or find them on the web, marleyfg.com. You know the moment. The workday is over. Your daily responsibilities have been met. The shoes slip off and you lie back. It's that end of day. Ah, that's the relief you'll feel when you rest on the body-soothing serenity made locally at the Original Mattress Factory. Relief from middleman markups and a hard day's work. The Original Mattress Factory. Thoughtfully made. Honestly priced. OriginalMattress.com Did you know that when you buy a mattress from a retail store, that mattress is being sold for the second time? What do I mean? Well, the manufacturer sells the mattress to the retailer, who in turn sells it to you with costs and markups for both parties. At the Original Mattress Factory, we have our own factory right here at our store. So the mattress you buy is being sold for the first and only time. That's why our prices are hundreds less than the mainstream mattress brands. Stop by one of our factory locations or visit us at OriginalMattress.com to see for yourself. Hi. I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our To Have and To Hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HenneyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life. I'm not a pastor, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a counselor, I'm not a theologian, I'm a Christian. Introducing a new show for those struggling with addiction. And I sit here today with 23 years of recovery because of God's grace, support team, and the 12 steps to recovery found in God's Bible. Join Terry Hanna for Christians with Secret Addictions and find hope to begin again. You too will have a new way of life. Sunday night at 645 on W. O-R-D. In all the conversation about Judge Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford over the last weeks, the thing that keeps getting lost in the conversation is that there are actual people involved, 
obviously we have those two people, right? And and I'm not sure what happened between those two people. None of us know what happened between those two people. Only those two people know what happened between those two people. We've damaged ourselves, I think, by turning this into a political circus. And I don't know if we could have stopped it as people, if we wouldn't have been so eager to retweet the tweet or so eager to watch, you know, 24 hours straight of a cable news, you know, network over and over and over again for seven straight days. Or I don't know if we're just at the mercy of our political leaders. But I think the thing that we have to keep coming back to is that take it beyond these two people. There are millions and millions of people who have been victimized by sexual abuse. And there are millions of people who have been unfairly accused. So our job as people who say they follow Jesus is to look like him and to sound like him as we try to reason through these issues. And his name at the very beginning of John, he was full of two things, it says. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. So in all of our conversation, let's try, let's try to look like that. And one of the people who I believe has spoken so well from his own personal experience is Joshua Pease. He's written an article, CT Pastors, that uh, John found just a couple of days ago and sent it my way. Joshua Pease is a freelance writer. He lives in Colorado, but he was an evangelical pastor for 11 years and himself a victim of sexual abuse. He's written a compelling piece. I'm so happy he's here to talk to us about it. Joshua, welcome in. Thank you for having me. Um, Joshua, let's start by talking about your story. Um, how long did it take you to acknowledge that you had been molested as a child? Well, I would even uh, consider using a different word than acknowledge. I don't think I acknowledging would be like a, oh, I always knew it, but was repressing it. I would say I didn't even have language for what had happened. Mm. Um, I grew up in a pretty... Uh, I grew up, uh, I, I was, when it happened, I was in sixth grade, it was the early 90s. Uh, I grew up in a very evangelical uh, world and culture that, at that time, I don't think really had language for any of this. The idea of sexual abuse was something that happened in very dramatic circumstances about other people. And I, I didn't even, I couldn't even identify it. The idea of using the word molestation or, or sexual abuse I wasn't even aware that that was a word that belonged with my story mm -hmm. until my early 30s. And, and so it was it was a good 20 years before I even had language to put with that experience. So you remembered the experience, but you didn't label. Did you label it anything? No. I, I mean, this is what's hard to explain about sexual abuse, especially to people who haven't um, experienced it themselves is there's kind of a disconnect that you create between the abuse and, and yourself. And uh, in my story, um, the way I would look at it was like, well, it could have been worse, which is true. You know, it could have, what happened to me could have been more scarring, more damaging. Um, and then there was also the sense of men, thank God that it didn't affect me more, that it didn't mess me up. That would be that was kind of the narrative I had. It was like this weird outlier of a thing that happened one time, and man, thank God it wasn't worse. Mm -hmm. And what was so difficult about that is, to some extent, that was true, right? I mean, to some extent, it wasn't like a uh, close family member. It didn't happen repeatedly. It wasn't as, um, and I want to be, you know, uh, considerate in the way I describe all this, but it wasn't as... Um, 
physically evasive as it could have been. And yet I used all of that as a way of distancing myself of like, oh man, what a weird memory and glad that wasn't worse. When the reality was that what happened to me happened when I was at a very pivotal time in my own physical development. Um, and it did mess me up. It messed me up quite a bit. And it wasn't until, honestly, my life really started unraveling that for the very first time, I looked back at this man that happened 20-something years ago, and rather than saying, I'm so glad it wasn't worse, for the very first time started considering, maybe that was worse than I thought. Maybe that did have a drastic impact on my life. And what I've realized since is, yeah, of course it did. So that's an important place to get to in any sort of difficulty in your past, whether it's abuse you suffered or an experience that you had or whatever, to be able to say, yeah, that messed me up. Um, I, I think that, you know, I had to be in therapy for a long time before I was able to say that. I, I don't know. I don't know what I thought I was doing <laughs> therapy yeah. up to that point. But uh, but I think that that's that's really the beginning of when healing starts is to say, wow, okay, so that thing happened to me, and I. It's not that you know. In my instance, I was not a victim of abuse, so it wasn't like I could point to someone and say someone did this to me. This is just a matter of mm. who I was, and so I had to just be yeah. able to say, okay, it's nobody's fault, but I need to take responsibility for this. You were in a different circumstance where someone actually victimized you. So, how old were you? I mean, you said you were in what? You were in your third when you came to this realization? Yeah, I'm 37 now. I had to think about it. I'm 37 now. Um, I It was not until I was probably 30 or 31 before I first started realizing oh, that's not just some random outlier memory. That's something that might have been a little more significant. And it wasn't until three or four years ago that I, for the very first time, I've been going to therapy for years and I've never even put it up. Not because I was hiding it, but because I just didn't think it, it wasn't something I thought of being that big of a deal. It wasn't until about three years ago that I really, for the first time, began discussing it with a therapist and tracking down uh, sort of the the shrapnel, I guess, that had come from all of And yeah, it was it was it was more profound than I ever would have realized. Which at first, and this is something that I think is important for people who have not experienced this to understand. I don't know. I've not just in my own story, but I've now, as a freelance writer, I've, I've interviewed probably about 20 different sexual abuse survivors. None of them are like on this like vendetta to go out and get the person that did this to them. If anything, the very first step toward it is very unempowering because it makes you feel like you have to. This person actually did hurt me. It's like letting them have right, the first have, step right. killing. Yeah makes it feel like you're having to like give them more control of like that person actually did a thing that still is hurting me to this day. It's very difficult to admit that to yourself and then to tell other people about it is very painful because it makes you feel weak. It makes you feel vulnerable. And it, of course, that's not the case. But for sexual abuse survivors such as myself or others, um, I think what's important to understand is that very, very rarely our sexual abuse survivors just out on this like crazy vendetta to go get anyone that they think might have done it. If anything, just us acknowledging the fact that that's still a part of our story to this day is really painful and difficult. And then how we proceed from there is actually usually fairly cautious and slow because 
we're not sure how much we really want to open our life to that trauma again. Um, it's, it's complicated. Joshua, take us to the time when your wife had just given birth. You know, those newborn days, they are so hard. I mean, I know for some people, they just fall into it. But for me, it was just so hard. There's just such a difficult adjustment and you, you lack of sleep and you're not feeling your best and the baby has its you know own personality. And mm-hmm. So you're having troubles at home and you're having troubles at work. Um, talk about that time period. Yeah. It, see, up until that point, I thought I was doing pretty well. <laughs> um, life was fairly easy. And so I felt like I was able to cope life pretty well. But then our firstborn had um, not severe eczema, but enough that he didn't sleep very well at night and was having trouble breastfeeding. My wife was experiencing postpartum anxiety and things at work. I was a pastor at the time. Things at work were difficult. Um, And what happened is my sort of high-functioning anxiety that I had probably all my life and never really just thought this was just kind of how I was wired turned into something um, a lot more intense. Uh, life started feeling out of control all the time. And um, what happened in my story was that um, a lot of things, uh, one of the things I realized in retrospect is abuse survivors especially have a very hard time. Um, we're kind of in survival mode ourselves all the time. Um, and so when someone else wants something from us, we sometimes panic because we don't know how to give it. My wife just wanted a supportive husband to tell her it was all going to be okay. But I felt like she was wanting me to like, fix everything. I didn't know how, and it freaked me out. So I started withdrawing just even emotionally from her. And a long, very painful story made short is I ended up letting myself get far closer with a person on my team at the church than I ever should have. And thank God it didn't turn into an affair. But it got closer than I ever would have thought. Um, I had to go and tell my boss, like, hey, this isn't good, and I don't know how to stop it. I need your help. And damage of what that did ended up kind of spiraling out of control. And this is, it's a long, complicated story. I ended up losing my job over it, mm-hmm. is basically how that story ends. And the, I mean, the level, even just going through that process and how I, for about a week or two straight, I woke up in the morning and was fine for about five minutes, and then would have panic attacks where I was literally, I'm a grown man at this point, I'm pulling the covers up over my head, because it's like I just couldn't handle the wave of just pure panic that would sweep over me. And that led me on the path of like, okay, I've got this figured out. That involved antidepressants, which I'm still on, and thank God for them. Um, it involved a lot more therapy, which I'd done before, but leaning into some of these moments from my past, and it involved my wife and I, having to roll through the, the um, damage that I'd created in our marriage and figuring out how to move forward. And God has graciously done so much healing in the middle of all of that. Um, but it was, it's still shocking to me sometimes. Uh, you know, a lot of things played into that. And it's not like, oh, it all happened because of this thing that happened to me in my past. I made my own choices, my own mistakes, my own failures, you know, all that's tied up in my story for sure. But there's a direct line between what happened then and what happened to me when I was in sixth grade. And I think what breaks my heart and why so much of the writing I do now is is writing about this topic specifically within the church is because, you know, statistics say that about one in four women and one in seven to one in nine men have experienced sexual abuse at some point in their life. And I still don't think we in the church have very good language for that sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And so my hope is that we can start telling people who maybe their marriages are in crisis or they're melting down at work, or there's just something that's always wrong that they've never really known how to trace back and say, like, you don't have to live with that. God actually wants to, like, do a lot of freedom and healing from that in your life if you're willing to lean into it. And, and that's kind of a message that I think I've arrived at for the time being, at least, is wanting the church to see that and hear that and to talk better about this topic. We're talking to Joshua Pease, freelance writer living in Colorado. He was an evangelical pastor for 11 years before losing his job as he came to grips with what happened to him as a kid as a victim of sexual abuse. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk to Joshua about what he's discovered being a writer. He's talked to so many other people who suffered in the same way. How can we in the church get better at talking about this? That's on today's edition of The Ride Home. Stay close. The day after Thanksgiving, feed your soul. Join Amen to Action as we come together to sing, pray, celebrate, and pack one million meals of hope for the hungry. It's Friday, November 23rd at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Doors open at 8 a.m. and all faiths and ages are welcome. Come fill your heart with joy and one million plates of food right here in Pittsburgh. To register, go to amentoaction.org. Jen had a very busy day today. Really busy. First, she dropped her kids off at daycare. Then she had a few minutes before yoga class for a coffee. Small latte, please. And then she saved a few lives. Nurse, two units, O negative. One, an injured child. Another, a cardiac patient. And then, a premature baby. All because Jen logged on to bloodsciencefoundation.org and made a financial donation. There, done. You see, local blood donors provide only about half of what is needed to treat patients. The other half has to be purchased and relies on financial donations from people like you and Jen. Ooh, cake pops. So, what have you done today? To make a financial donation that saves lives, visit bloodsciencefoundation.org. Blood Science Foundation, giving from the heart. How does Eden Christian Academy prepare students for success? Through education that ignites the mind and inspires the spirit. From pre-K through 12th grade, through 47 state-certified full-time teachers, and opportunities in sports, the arts, and service to the community. With results like SAT scores 200 points over the national average. Tour any of their three North Hills campuses during admissions week, October 15th, and see what the area's largest non-denominational Christian school has to offer at EdenChristianAcademy.org. Over two-thirds of Christian young people will step away from their faith while attending a non-Christian college or university. But Word FM and Salem Media Pittsburgh have a solution. Salem Media Pittsburgh has partnered with Judson University, a private Christian college, in offering a limited number of special grants designed to decrease the cost of tuition by over half. These tuition grants are available now. Call our tuition solution specialist at 412-503-4769 to reserve yours. Business is booming, and so is Christian Business Partners, where you'll find allies who share your values as you seek to serve God in and through your daily work. Now with seven chapters throughout the region, including new groups in Monroeville and Ambridge. Find weekly encouragement from 8.15 to 9.30 a.m. as you enjoy prayer and Bible study, fellowship, trade referrals, and make friends. Find your Christian Business Partners at cbp316.com. We'll see one more summery day tomorrow before a cold front moves through. 
Mainly clear with areas of fog forming tonight. It'll be warm and muggy with a low 64. Unseasonably warm and humid again tomorrow with patchy fog to start, otherwise partly sunny, high 82. It'll turn cloudy tomorrow night with some showers and a thunderstorm late, low steamy 67. Mainly cloudy with some rain at times Thursday, high 72. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Frank Strait on 101.5 Word FM. Here in Pennsylvania, we've unfortunately had a lot of time and a lot of context to talk about sexual abuse. With the release of the PA Grand Jury Report on Sexual Abuse in the Catholic Church, um, it opened up a whole cavalcade of uh, emotion, of anger, of disappointment, of disillusionment. Um, and I think that adding to it the whole, you know, Kavanaugh confirmation circus that that turned into, it's easy for us to look at sexual abuse in some kind of abstract way, or especially with the Kavanaugh thing, that we turned it into some kind of partisan thing. Um, that can only injure victims, and that can only keep people who've actually been injured from coming forward. Um, we need to find a better way. We need to find a way forward that allows victims to be honest about what they say. Um, and we also need to find a way um, to support people who've been unfairly accused. Um, I don't know how we do both of those things, I have to be honest, but I do believe that is the task, especially for Christians, especially for people who follow God. We have to find a way to be humans to be full like our savior of both grace and truth. We're talking to Joshua Pease, a freelance writer living in Colorado. He was an evangelical pastor for 11 years before he lost his job related to some emotional problems and behavioral problems he was having, which he was able to trace back to his sexual abuse as a child. Now, he spent a lot of time talking with other people who've suffered sexual abuse, in particular pastors, and he's trying to help us to find a way that we can talk about this in a way that's more effective in the church. Okay, Joshua, so when you started meeting with other pastors who were also victims of sexual abuse did it make did you find commonalities between their um, responses the things that they'd suffered later in life and how you yourself had dealt with the abuse yeah I, yeah I think anyone who's experienced abuse uh, there's a an emotional stunting that happens um, a part of you whenever the abuse happens uh, like sort of there's this wounded kid in that moment who that part of you doesn't really grow up until you're able to circle back around. And what that can, I mean, basically what that creates is there's this uh, different temperaments respond different ways, to it, but that there's this hurt kid. And I think we're all like this. You, sure. know, you, that you have gone to therapy. It's not just a sexual abuse thing. I think sexual abuse magnifies how this works, but there's, I think for almost all of us, there's a wounded kid inside of us that still wants to know, am I okay? And whenever you mix up sexual identity into that, it strikes at such a deep core level. And so I think for some pastors, that's manifest in sexual addiction. Uh, for some, that's going to show up um, in anger issues. And some, some pastors are going to devote themselves to being, I'm going to help as many people as possible as a way of saying, like, if I help them, then somehow I've helped myself. And it's really seeing that some of the drive that even comes from that is redeemed by God into something good, that God can use that wounding and healing when it's really surrendered to Him. And when He heals it, pastors, I think, on the other side of that become remarkably good at their jobs. Yeah, um, They're able to have an empathy for the people who have been wounded and hurt that they never could have had otherwise. Sure, um, and as a, pastor, they, they, as a pastor, you're never going to get to be that type of healer 
and I mean that with a, in a small, you know, small H, not a capital H, but you never get to be that kind of healer, that kind of pastor, if you can't work through your own story. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And we need to make space for people to be able to do that. I, I mean, I think what's concerning to me, um, I agree with everything that you said. We need to both, we need to be on the side of justice, whether that's justice for victims or whether it's justice for the wrongfully accused. But a big part of that is, at least in my experiences and the people I've talked to, is just treating abuse with the gravity that it needs to be treated. Mm, sure. Uh, the, the problem, like, I don't see, in my experiences, I don't see the Church erring on the side of believing survivors too much. <laughs> um, if anything, there tends to be a, well, that person could not have done what that person accused him of because they're a good person, which is not a biblical way of thinking. About right. And how humanity. often, Joshua, have um, we seen that played out? You'd think after the last 10 years, we'd be better at this. You would think. But I, I mean, I, if I was trying to be gracious, and sometimes some days that's harder than others, but if I'm trying to be gracious, I, I want to believe that most Christians are still <sighs> learning how to converse well about this topic. For reasons I still don't understand, in my own story it's like this, people want to minimize and downplay abuse. And I think the reason for that might be we don't want it to disrupt our lives. So when someone else comes forward in a church setting and says, I have been abused or I'm a victim of abuse, that means that we have to, one, reconcile that can happen in our own midst, two, that it did, three, that might mean something for our churches or how we perceive our church community. It's very disruptive. And I think human beings just in general don't want to be disrupted. But churches as Christians, we don't we don't get we don't have that right. So like we don't get to not be disrupted. If we are gonna be like Jesus, then we have to be like the Jesus who went into the temple and saw um, the people who are selling the goods and wares and all that stuff and who are specifically in that story, if you look at it, what they're doing is they are figuring out a way to monetize and take advantage of the people who have less, the people who are outsiders, and sell things to them, saying, you can only be a part of it if you buy our wares and products. And he comes in, he's incensed by the corruption he sees in the temple, and he drives it out. And it says in one version of that story that afterwards the children came back and singing. And what we need to do is to look at what's going on inside of God's Church and let it wreck us and disrupt us and anger us and make us cry and sob and repent and then to do everything we can to drive out any space that creates, uh, that coddles any sort mm-hmm. of victimization that co- that allows for any space for the stuff to happen, to, to be the safest place we can for survivors so that the children can then come back in the church and stay. Joshua Peace is with us. Listen, if a bomb hit your church one day, you wouldn't show up the next day and act like it never happened. Well, if your pastor was sexually abused as a kid or someone else from your church was sexually abused as a kid, that is a bomb that has gone off in your church. And if it hasn't gone off yet, I promise you it will. We're talking to Joshua. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about what it is to do next. What's our next step once we find out that someone has been abused? How can we reach out? How can we help?
101.5 WORD. Jay Sekulow is trying to figure out the Kavanaugh mess. This is a circus. The consequences will extend long past my nomination. I think Brett Kavanaugh laid it out probably what the case is. Unfortunately for the American Republic and our Republic and for the people of this country, but I think he's I think he exactly hit it right. Some of these senators saying, I'm not voting for Brett Kavanaugh. They were never voting for Brett Kavanaugh. Right. Jay Sekulow live. Weekdays at 1 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. Most executors don't want the job, quite frankly. Attorney Michelle Conti, host of Conti's Law on the importance of proper estate administration. There's a lot of steps that go into settling an estate, and if they don't get it right, not knowing the law isn't a defense to why you didn't do it correctly in the first place. When you pass without appropriate planning, it can be very costly. We see more fractions within families when death and money are involved. If you don't plan appropriately, it's very common. Siblings don't speak anymore. We act as the mediator for that executor to understand the law. We sit down and go through what probate looks like. Once we go through those steps, we'll assist with getting all of the legal documents, getting you sworn in with the local court and starting that probate process. And then we will act as the mediator with the beneficiaries and the executor. Hear more on Conti's Law, Saturday morning at 9 on WORD. For immediate help, visit ContiLawPGH.com. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I shopped the many highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $27 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-452-6990. That's 800-452-6990. 800-452-6990. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at slugquote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. At Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville, find extreme accessories for all your dirty jobs, like hauling landscape supplies. Protect your vehicle with spray on bed liners, tonneau covers, weather tech floor liners, and more. Say goodbye to dirt and grime inside and out with extreme detailing. Plus, lift kits, electronics, and remote starters. Always a favorite. Extreme Car and Truck in Bridgeville for the extreme in all of us at extremetruck.net. I have never had a female dentist. I started to have problems with a tooth, and I thought, you know what? I'll just go once. David remembers his first visit with Dr. Megan Stock. I had such a good time that I'm surprised they allowed me to come back because I had a lot of things that needed to be fixed. She makes you feel so calm and so comfortable. She's just terrific at what she does. I have had no discomfort at all with anything that she's done. Perry Highway in Wexford at Stock. Dentistry.com. Listen, our world is so complicated. We're all so injured. We're all messed up people. The number one thing I guess I plead for is open-mindedness and understanding. 
as we try to navigate the difficult waters that we're in. We've been talking a lot about abuse since the grand jury report came out in Pennsylvania on sexual abuse in the Roman Catholic Church. Also, the whole Kavanaugh thing, you know, people feel very strongly about that, and that became like a political thing, which made it extra ugly to me. Um, but what we're trying to do is get, get to the heart of it. People who actually have, have been abused, who are survivors, who want to talk and empower us to understand how we can be kind and understanding and normal people to those who suffer. So I'm happy to have Joshua Pease with us. He's a freelance writer living in Colorado. He's written a great piece I'll put on our Facebook page and online at our website, johnandkathyshow.com. All right, Joshua, uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but I want to make sure I bring up a quote from your uh, article. You, you write, pastors have been extremely hurt by the myth that sexual predators have most likely been abused themselves. Talk about why that is hard for pastors to hear and what it makes them afraid of. Definitely. So there's a completely um, not based in fact misconception that if someone has been abused, they are more likely to be an abuser. Uh, That's just, I, I mean, because we're short on time, I'll just say it. That's not how it works. And pastors oftentimes might be scared to come forward and tell their congregation or to say, hey, I need to go on a sabbatical or to tell their church board or whatever that this is a part of their story, because especially with what's going on culturally right now, the idea someone might hear their pastor say, I was abused, and immediately think, oh, no, he could be someone who's not safe. Uh, we need to be careful. And it's a vulnerable enough thing as it is just to talk about your abuse in the first place. If you're then also scared of being demonized like that, that can be crushing, um, especially if you're in a smaller church community where you feel like you have every single set of eyes on you. And so I, I think one of the things that's helpful is for pastors to um, know from their congregations that it's okay for them to wrestle with this. It's okay for them to have to figure it out. Not only is it okay, if you have a pastor who's willing to share that, that is a sign that you have the right guy in the job, Mm, that you have someone who's more committed to their own spiritual journey and growth and healing than they are looking like some professional, perfect Christian. Um, I would far more trust a pastor who says, I'm taking three months off to figure stuff out, than someone who just plugs along until they explode. Right, because that's just not what humans can do. We can't just go, 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 because oftentimes at the end of the go, 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 go thing is the explosion. And if we want healthy churches and we want healthy pastors, we want, they're our friends. We want, we want healthy people. We want to stop them from getting to the explosion point and give them kindness and grace before then. So maybe we can avoid that. Well, and we'd want to offer that to them because we need it for ourselves. Like, the key isn't like, oh, we need to have extra grace for a pastor. The key is like, we need to understand that Christianity is not about super Christians who have, like, or saints who have it all together. We're broken people in need of a Savior. And we have had a lot of broken things happen to us in our lives, and God wants to heal. And what a beautiful thing when pastors can lead in that, because then it creates safe space for other people to, lead, to go on that journey, too. And to know that their pastor understands, like if a pastor is willing to stand in front of a congregation and talk about their sexual abuse and how they're healing from it, all of a sudden you've created a safe space for everyone to share their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Joshua, talk to me about the process you go through, because you you also make a point at the end of your article of saying, look, if you're a pastor, if you're in this situation, if you've been sexually abused, and this is the time when you realize you need to 
seek help. You need to work this out. You need to make changes in your life. And the number one thing being acknowledging what happened to you. Um, you say pastors should not undertake this process on their own. Talk about why it's not a solo endeavor. Because it's not for any of us. What, what, this may or may not make sense to some people. I don't know. But as someone who was a pastor for 11 years, I'm just going to say this. Being a pastor is a very lonely job because you feel like everywhere, like, unlike some jobs, oftentimes, if you're the pastor of a church, it's not just that that's your flock, your community. That's your, those are your friends. That's, that everything that you do is connected to that community, and yet you also feel like everyone's looking to you as sort of your spiritual guide and shepherd, and it can very much feel isolating, and like you always have to kind of keep the most vulnerable part of you safe, because if you shared that with people, uh, maybe they don't want you to share that. Maybe they just want you to be the rock who's holding everything together. Right. But you can't, no matter what it is, sin doesn't get healed. Pain doesn't get healed. Brokenness doesn't get healed. We as humans don't heal in isolation. We were never meant to. I mean, this is the whole Genesis 1, it's not good for man to be alone thing, right? It's that we, we, we don't come single serving. Humans are meant to be in community, and we have to heal in community. And especially when we're talking about sexual abuse, what happens is we as children who have experienced that create sort of a buffer between us and what happened to protect ourselves, which is a good thing, but it creates an unreliable narrative that drives us through our life. And we need other people to help us see that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need other people to help us see, like, you know, you got really angry, Justin. Do you know why? (laughs) And be like, I honestly didn't even realize that I was angry, but now I think about it, you're right. Why is that? Um, We need to invite our spouses into our journey. We need therapists. We need wise mentors that we can have alongside us. Um, and we pastors need that because everyone needs that. Um, yeah. We can't do this life alone, and we weren't meant to. Joshua, I'm grateful for, uh, first of all, for you being with us today, but also just for the the time and attention you put into writing this article. This is a long piece, and there's a lot in it. Um, I'm happy to post it on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. Um, And uh, the reason I'm particularly grateful is that in Pennsylvania, since the grand jury report came out, um, we've spent a lot of time talking about clergy who have been abusers. But we have spent zero time talking about clergy who've been abused. And if Mm. we're going to tell the story, we need to tell the whole story. And so those that's that's the whole story. And so I very much appreciate you being honest about your own journey and for what you've done in this piece. Thank you for taking time to talk about it. I really appreciate that. That's Joshua Pease. He's a freelance writer. He lives in Colorado. He's written just a great thing on a, uh, a Christianity Today website called When Pastors Are Sexual Abuse Survivors. I'm going to find a way just in the next couple of minutes to get it up on our Facebook page. So look for it there. John and Kathy Show dot com. The day after Thanksgiving, feed your soul. Join Amen to Action as we come together to sing, pray, celebrate, and pack one million meals of hope for the hungry. It's Friday, November 23rd at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center. Doors open at 8 a.m. and all faiths and ages are welcome. Come fill your heart with joy and one million plates of food right here in Pittsburgh. To register, go to amentoaction.org. Right now, there are young people across the world facing a tough choice. Continue their dream of education or drop out to help their family put food on the table. You can help change their future in a single moment. 
See how far your support can go at unbound.org. If you're wondering how kids can be truly educated when God, Scripture, and prayer are removed from the classroom, well, wonder no more, because you have choices nearby, and you'll find them on the map at pittsburghchristianschools.net, pittsburghchristianschools.net. If you're involved in youth or high school sports, you need to know about Positive Coaching Alliance. PCA, a national nonprofit organization, develops better athletes and better people. PCA workshops help coaches, parents, and student-athletes pursue winning and life lessons through sports. Visit PositiveCoach.org. Years ago this month, Bullet opened in the United States and became one of the most financially successful thrillers of all time, costing a mere $5.5 million, but reaping a gross of $42.5 million, which, if you were going to put it in today's dollars, $300 million at the domestic box office. This is a story of a San Francisco detective on the trail of ruthless hitmen, and it marked the apotheosis, says Peter Cowie in today's Wall Street Journal, of Steve McQueen as an action star. And in celebration of the anniversary, Bullet is running in selected theaters across the U.S. today. Listen, I remember seeing the Bullet car chase. I don't know, the first time I was maybe 12 years old. I didn't watch the whole film. Until about three months ago. Oh my god. I love this movie. I absolutely love this movie. I cannot get over the presence that Steve McQueen is on the screen. I just, I can't. I saw him in The Great Escape, which was fabulous, but there is nothing like this film. Now, is it the greatest film of all time? No. I don't think it's like the greatest crime story. I don't think it's like the most fascinating collection of characters. I don't think, really think it's any of that. What I think it is, is it's just him and an awesome car, both at their best. I mean, I think that's what really is the essence of Bullet. Now, listen to this. I went back and looked up some information on how Bullet was made. Steve McQueen enjoyed a position of immense power. His company, Solar Productions, controlled Bullet from start to finish, despite the film being financed by Warner Brothers. Steve McQueen himself selected the director, who was Peter Yates, because he liked how he did a car chase in another movie the previous year. The movie's called Robbery, which, of, with which I'm not familiar. And it was Steve McQueen who spent interminable interminable preparatory sessions at a track north of San Francisco, racing alongside and against Bill Hickman, a brilliant stunt driver whose Magnum Dodge Charger 440 sought to outrun Police Lieutenant Frank Bullitt's Ford Mustang 390 GT in the now legendary pursuit through San Francisco. The 10-minute sequence, which is awesome, it is awesome, took three weeks to record with eight cameras involved, one operated by the director hidden inside McQueen's Mustang. 
Now, listen, the first time Steve McQueen brought up the fact that he actually wanted to do a live car chase, apparently officials at Warner Brothers were appalled by the prospect because they said San Francisco is heavily populated. Right. And then there's a scene later in the film where Steve McQueen throws himself beneath the wheels of a a huge airplane, a Boeing 747 at the San Francisco International Airport. And so, of course, Warner Brothers like, we're absolutely not doing that. And Steve McQueen was like, we absolutely are doing it because I'm controlling every single aspect of this film, which is exactly what happened. Now, going back to Peter Cowie's article, which is really terrific. He said, quote, you always felt that McQueen was the real deal, a rebel of flesh and blood with the carefree courage of an auto racer and the rumpled tenderness of a loner who had survived reform school and run away to join the merchant Navy. I'm not an actor, said Steve McQueen. I'm a reactor. Are you kidding me? Gosh, I wish he would have lived longer and made more movies. Mike, I'm going to watch it tonight. You have to watch it. Plus, it's such a like, it's like just a little microcosm. If you put the 1960s together and just like, like put Play-Doh between your hands and smashed them down, you'd come out. That's with, one of the reasons why I want to watch you'd it. You'd come I out love with bullets. Oh, do you love that era? Oh. oh my gosh! Plus, have you seen the car? Absolutely not. Oh, I need I, to see it. You are gonna love the car. I really think the car chase and the French Connection's better, from my opinion. Yeah. But you can't beat the car. I'm excited to see and it. You can't beat Steve McQueen. So happy anniversary. Happy birthday. Bullet, I should say. Have yourself a great night, Pittsburgh. See you back here tomorrow. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.